Christ has risen. He's risen indeed. <laughs> if only you were Anglicans, um, everyone has said that. But last week was Easter Sunday. And those words were proclaimed in churches across the world as Christians celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. Christ has risen, they said together. And over the next few weeks, we're going to explore that truth and ask the question, how important is that truth? How important is it to Christians in their day-to-day lives that Christ is risen? Because that's just what John is exploring in chapters 20 and 21 of his Gospel, the importance of Christ's resurrection for us. But we need to ask the question, how important is the risen Jesus to you? See, it's pretty clear to me that the human Jesus is still an engaging and attractive figure for many people today. His compassion, his great teaching, his revolutionary ideas. But do we really need to believe that he is risen? See, if you're not a Christian here this morning, the resurrection of Jesus might be something that you find it difficult to believe in. It might seem just too big a miracle for you to believe actually happens. Do you really have to believe that Jesus is risen to be a Christian? Surely you can just emphasise his goodness, his humanity, try to follow his example. Is the risenness of Jesus really that important? And if you're a Christian here this morning, the question might be slightly different. Does that statement of belief, Christ has risen, make any real difference to my life? See, it may be a cause of celebration on Easter Sunday, but what about Monday morning? Does it really affect me? Is it just one of those doctrines I believe, but doesn't really affect my life that much? Well, for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the closing chapters of John. And in those chapters, the risen Jesus meets three different people. Mary Magdalene, Thomas, and Simon Peter. And in those three encounters, Jesus shows us just how vital it was for him to rise from the dead and the huge difference that makes to everyone who believes in him. See, Christians follow a risen Jesus. And that isn't just a small or unimportant detail or quirk of our belief. That changes everything about us. That changes everything about our relationship with God. So next week we'll explore with Thomas how the risen Jesus is a reality that gives us confidence that we can trust Jesus with our lives and enjoy new life with him. In John 21, we'll explore with Simon Peter the relationship between the risen Jesus and our need for forgiveness. But this morning, we're looking at Mary Magdalene's encounter with the risen Jesus. It's an encounter that begins with tears and despair, but that ends with joy and a new purpose for life. See, Mary discovers in this encounter, that the risen Jesus is more powerful than she ever imagined, that he has work for her to do, and that he has the power and authority to work through her so that she can do what he calls her to do. See, throughout this encounter, Jesus is going to challenge Mary's understanding of who he is until at the end of it, Mary discovers that the risen Jesus is the only Jesus worth trusting in. 
He is the Jesus that our world needs to hear about. The Jesus we need to hear about. The Jesus that Christians need to come back to again and again, every day of our lives. Because the risen Jesus is the only Jesus who can lead us and keep us as a church and as individuals. See, Mary discovers that in this encounter in the garden. And we can discover it with her. So as we turn to Mary Magdalene in John 20, it's worth pointing out that she is a woman who is accorded a place of great honour in the Gospel accounts of Jesus' life. All four Gospels agree that Mary was the first person to see the risen Jesus. Matthew records the risen Jesus meeting Mary along with some other women at the tomb. But in his Gospel, John chooses to focus on the meeting Mary had with Jesus when she was on her own in the garden. See, John wants us to see Jesus through the eyes of Mary Magdalene here. Because Jesus transforms Mary's understanding, both of who he is and what it means to follow him. And through seeing Jesus through Mary's eyes, Jesus can change us and change our vision of him for his glory. So who was Mary Magdalene? Well, contrary to some traditions, she probably wasn't a reformed prostitute. Instead, Luke chapter 8 tells us that she was a woman of some wealth and means who helped to support Jesus financially throughout his ministry on earth. And crucially, Luke 8 also tells us that Jesus had driven seven demons out of Mary. Jesus had healed Mary from demon possession. So Jesus had set Mary free. He had transformed Mary's life and Mary was forever grateful to him for that. And her devotion to Jesus led her to be present at his crucifixion when Jesus' male followers had all run away and fled. See, Mary was devoted to Jesus. She'd seen him die on the cross. She'd seen where he was buried and her devotion to him continued after his death, when early in the morning, verse 1 of John 20 tells us, she goes to the tomb to mourn over the loss of the Lord she loved so much. And verses 1 to 9 of John 20 describe what happened when she got to Jesus' tomb. See, Mary found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance of the tomb. And without looking inside, she runs to tell Peter and John that someone has taken Jesus' body. Peter and John then run to the tomb and find it empty with Jesus' grave clothes folded inside. They realise something remarkable has happened but they don't yet understand what it is. So in verse 10, Peter and John return home. But in the meantime, Mary has returned to the tomb. And in verse 11, we find her outside it, crying. You see, Peter and John are confused by the empty tomb. They go home struggling to understand what has happened. But for Mary, her grief outstrips her confusion. She wants to see Jesus. She wants to be near Jesus. And now Jesus' body is gone. See, Jesus was precious to Mary. He had set her free from seven demons and in response she had followed him faithfully to the very end. See, Mary weeps here because she loved Jesus. And now he's gone. 
She doesn't understand what has happened to his body. And all she can do is sit and cry. And as she cries, in verse 11, she brings herself to look inside the tomb for the first time. But if she expected to find it empty, as Peter and John did, then she's in for a shock. Verse 11. As Mary wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. See, instead of the empty tomb, Mary sees two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, one at the feet. And we don't know if Mary immediately recognized them as angels. Often in scripture, angels are mistaken for people at first. But even if she does, the angel's actions must have seemed to Mary deeply irreverent. They are sitting where Jesus' body had been. Not only was Jesus' body missing, but now these two angels are lounging around inside the tomb. And to add insult to injury, the angels challenge Mary in her grief. Verse 13, Woman, why are you crying? And Mary's reply explains something of the emotions she is experiencing. They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. That's worth asking, who are the they that Mary refers to here? Well, she seems to be referring to Jesus' enemies. Whether the high priest or the Romans or another group, Mary's great fear here is that someone who hates Jesus has managed to get into the tomb and steal the body. See, not content with crucifying him, Jesus' enemies have now succeeded in desecrating his tomb and their victory over Jesus now seems absolute. Mary is crying because she thinks Jesus' enemies have won. And I want us to see that Mary is not alone in history in believing that. Because throughout history, Christians have often been tempted to despair that Jesus' enemies are just too powerful, that they cannot hope to stand against them. The first generation of Christians suffered great persecution at the hands of the Roman Empire. And as more and more believers were arrested, imprisoned, executed, many early Christians may have been brought to tears, like Mary here, and have asked the question, have Jesus' enemies won? Are they just too powerful for us? In the 20th century, in communist Eastern Europe, many churches were ruthlessly crushed their leaders imprisoned. And how many believers would have wept over people they knew imprisoned and asked the question, have Jesus' enemies won? Across the world today, Christians in the Arab world, in China, in Zimbabwe, are suffering greatly. And might some of them ask in their darker moments, have Jesus' enemies won? Are they just too powerful for us? Is Jesus able to overcome these people in this place? And even for us, for Christians living in Britain today, we might feel like that sometimes. We may feel like a beleaguered minority in this country. 
We may not suffer out and out persecution, but sometimes the crushing indifference of people to the gospel can feel just as bad. When Christians are mocked in the media, when social commentators confidently predict the extinction of the church in Britain within a generation, when people we love steadfastly refuse to listen to the claims of Jesus, are we not sometimes tempted to ask, are Jesus' enemies just too strong for him? Haven't they won? How can we hope to stand against them? Maybe Mary's tears here are not so different to her own. Maybe we sometimes feel like despairing at the strength of Jesus' enemies. But look again at the angels here. And look again at their questioning of Mary. These angels are sitting in an empty tomb. Their actions would be irreverent if Jesus' body was still lying there. But the reality is, Jesus' body is gone. Their question of Mary, why are you crying? It sounds tactless at a graveside. Of course Mary is crying. She's at the graveside of someone she loves. But look again, Mary, they're saying. The tomb is empty. It might be natural to mourn at a graveside of a loved one, but not at this graveside. So the angels are challenging Mary here. There should be no tears at this tomb. Because at this tomb, death has finally been overcome. The tomb is not empty because Jesus' enemies have stolen the body. The tomb is empty because Jesus has won his greatest victory. The tomb is empty because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus is risen. See, Mary's fear was that Jesus' enemies have won. But it is quite the contrary. Jesus has won. He has defeated sin and death. And he is risen, the angels tell her. And now to emphasise that, Jesus himself appears to Mary. See, the risen Jesus appears to Mary here. She is privileged to be the first of Jesus' followers to see him alive on Easter morning. But look at verse 14. She can't see that it's Jesus standing in front of her. Verse 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realise that it was Jesus. See, John doesn't keep us in suspense here. He tells us straight away that it's Jesus standing in front of Mary. It's just that Mary cannot see it yet. And why Mary fails to recognise Jesus isn't made explicit. Some commentators believe that it suggests that the risen Jesus looks slightly different to the Jesus before the resurrection. That Jesus' resurrection body, though recognisably still Jesus, had enough differences in it to prevent Mary from recognising him straight away. And, And that could well be true. But it seems more likely that John records this to show us that Mary couldn't see Jesus because she wasn't looking for a living, risen Jesus. Mary was looking for Jesus' body. Mary was looking for the wrong Jesus. See Jesus' questioning of her in verse 15. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? See, Jesus echoes the question of the angels. Why are you crying? And then he adds one of his own. Who is it you are looking for? 
Mary's answer is that she's looking for the body of her great teacher. All Mary can think of is getting the body back. She thinks this gardener might be able to help her. But all the time, Jesus is standing in front of her. The risen Jesus is before her and she can't see him. See, her human expectations have blinded her to Jesus' resurrection until Jesus finally makes himself known to Mary. In verse 16, he speaks her name and it is only then that Mary is brought to her senses and comes to see the living Jesus standing in front of her. See, Mary's looking for the wrong Jesus here. But Jesus opens her eyes to who he is. See, in some senses, Mary's devotion to Jesus here is praiseworthy. She would stop at nothing to get Jesus' body back from the people she had believed had taken it. And in fact, she showed great courage on this Easter morning. But the fact remains, she was looking in the wrong place and looking for the wrong Jesus. And she needed Jesus to open her eyes to who he really was. See, the Jesus Mary was looking for was a Jesus who was powerless without her. The Jesus Mary was looking for was a Jesus who needed her desperately. He was a Jesus whose memory she greatly revered, but a Jesus with no power for the present. See, remember, Jesus had demonstrated his power to Mary in the past. He had driven seven demons out of her. Mary knew that Jesus was powerful, but now it's as if she has reimagined him to be passive and powerless, an object of her devotion, but not able to save himself. And again, I suspect that many of us, like Mary, can fall into the trap of viewing Jesus in those terms. Perhaps like Mary, you've encountered something of Jesus' power in your own life. You've seen Jesus change your life. You've seen Jesus transform the lives of others. You've recognized his grace, his strength to save people, to forgive people and give them new life. That's why you put your trust in him. But over the years, you've begun to lose sight of Jesus' power. And Jesus has become someone you admire rather than someone you worship. Someone you think needs you rather than someone you need desperately to depend on. If that is the case, then like Mary here, Jesus needs to open our eyes to who he is, the risen King. Because if we lose sight of the risen Jesus, then we lose sight of the glory of Jesus. If we lose sight of the risen Jesus, then the Christian life is a life we live on our own, with our own strength. And Christian teaching, like love your enemies or pray for those who persecute you, just become a set of hopelessly high ideals that no one can hope to live up to. So let me warn you this morning, as I warn myself, if we lose sight of the risen Jesus in his power and his glory, then our Christian lives and our relationship with God will be characterized by a sense of duty. And they will ultimately lead to despair. See, Mary thought Jesus was powerless 
without her. But the truth was, Jesus had just defeated sin and death by rising to life. He was demonstrating his absolute power in front of Mary if she would only see it. Jesus was not powerless. He had just won the greatest victory and he was inviting Mary to share in that victory with him. Like Mary, we need our eyes opened to the risen Jesus because only the risen Jesus is worth living for. Only the risen Jesus can set us free from our sins because he has paid the penalty for those sins. Only the risen Jesus can free us from our fear of death because he himself has conquered death. Only the risen Jesus has the power to overcome every obstacle and enemy in our path to knowing him and trusting in him because ultimately, again, Jesus does not need us to follow him. He invites us to follow him. He invites us to share in his power and his victory. And that is a huge difference. And if, like Mary, we fall into the trap of believing that Jesus somehow needs us, well, in the short term, we will become victims of pride, and in the long term, we will just burn out and despair of ourselves. Only the risen Jesus is worth following. Because only the risen Jesus can take our feeble and fallen efforts at living for him and use them to bring glory to himself. So Mary learns here, Jesus is alive. He has defeated all his enemies. He has defeated sin and death. And she needs to trust in him. So in verse 16, Jesus calls Mary by name and her eyes are finally opened to who he is. And it seems likely from verse 17 that that Mary is overcome with seeing her Lord standing in front of her again. It seems likely that Mary maybe flings herself at Jesus' feet in praise and adoration. Mary has now seen the risen Jesus and all she wants to do now is to be with him again, to be near him again. You can imagine her emotions in that garden. Jesus has come back, she thinks. Now he's going to stay with us and protect us. He's going to care for us and defeat all our enemies on our behalf. Mary is overjoyed at seeing Jesus and she never wants to be parted from him again. But then in verse 17, Jesus challenges Mary again. So Jesus hasn't risen from the dead to stay with her and protect her from the world. No, Jesus has risen from the dead to give her a message to proclaim. Verse 17. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Do not hold on to me, Jesus says. It could be translated, Do not cling to me. See, Jesus is gently challenging Mary that he has not risen for her to keep him for herself. He has risen and he calls on Mary to bring his message 
to others. Go, he says, to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus wants Mary to share a message with his disciples. And it's a message of awe-inspiring good news for them. I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Thanks to what Jesus has done in dying on the cross and rising again, the relationship between God and Jesus' followers will never be the same again, he tells Mary. Followers of Jesus can now call God their God, can call God their Father. Throughout John's Gospel, Jesus treasures the name of God as his Father. And now he says, he's your Father too. If you follow me, he is your Father as well. That is the message Jesus wants Mary to share with the disciples. Through the cross, Jesus has brought us to God. Thanks to Jesus' resurrection, God is now our God and our Father if we follow him. And in verse 17, Jesus knows the disciples need to hear that message. They needed to hear the message of the cross and the resurrection. And Mary's message for the disciples is our message for a dying world. See, thanks to Jesus, God can now be your God. You can know him and belong to him. The world needs to hear that message. And Jesus sends Mary with it to the disciples. See, after encountering Jesus, risen, alive, standing in front of her, all Mary wanted to do was cling to him, was be near him. She wanted Jesus to stay with her and comfort her, to shower his love on her. But instead, Jesus sends Mary to his disciples with a message they needed to hear. Instead, Jesus had work for Mary to do. And Jesus' words to Mary are Jesus' words to every Christian here this morning. Don't cling to me, but go and tell my brothers that God can now be their God, that God can now be their Father. And I need to confess, these are words I need to hear. So often in those moments when I begin to glimpse something of the glory of Jesus, something of his love for me, something of his mercy and his power. Often all I want to do is wallow in that. I want Jesus to to just show me more of himself. I want to cling to him. And I have very little interest in sharing him with others. I am happy to enjoy the relationship he gives me with God, but I don't see the need to tell others about him. But look at what Jesus says to me. Don't cling to me. Go and share me with others. That's a calling to share Jesus with people who don't yet know him. Jesus is our message, he tells Mary here. The Jesus who can reconcile us to God and adopt us into his family. And it is wrong for us to cling to Jesus for ourselves. Jesus challenges us to make him known in this world. And as Christians, we also need to share the risen Jesus with one another. 
So you've already seen this morning how easy it is for us as Christians to lose sight of the reality of the risen Jesus. How easy it is for us to become overwhelmed by a hostile and indifferent world. And Jesus calls Mary to go to his other followers and tell them, I am risen. I am returning to my Father and your Father. I have beaten sin and death. We need to hear that from one another again and again at Malden Road. We need to hear it on Sunday mornings. We need to hear it in home groups. We need to hear it in our conversations and our prayers. Jesus is risen. You can trust him. Jesus has defeated sin. You don't need to fear sin. Jesus has defeated death. You don't need to fear death. That is our message for people who do not know Jesus and it is our message for one another if we are following him. There is no place in a church for a sort of mystical individualism that wants to just love Jesus for ourselves but has no place for sharing him and what we are learning of him with one another. Jesus says to us, don't cling to me. Make me known to one another. Share me with one another. So Jesus has opened Mary's eyes to his victory over sin and death and he's revealed himself to be the risen king. And he then calls Mary to share that message both with the disciples and with the world. But Jesus has a final encouragement for Mary here. And it's a strange encouragement because at first it would have sounded like terrible news for Mary. Because Jesus tells Mary that he's going away again. Jesus says, I am returning, or a better translation, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus is ascending to his Father and he is preparing to leave Mary again. But you see, he wants her to see that that is great news for Mary. See, at first, all Mary wanted was for Jesus to stay with her. And many of us have felt that in our lives. If only Jesus were here right now. If only Jesus were walking around on earth. It would be a whole lot easier to point other people to him. It would be a whole lot easier to live for him. Mary didn't want Jesus to go. She didn't want him to ascend to his Father. She wanted him to stay. But Jesus' ascension, he tells the disciples elsewhere, is actually the greatest encouragement to us to know him and to make him known. Because Jesus is ascended into heaven, he is now the ruler of this world and he is the power and authority to help us and empower us to be his witnesses. So we can do great things now for Jesus because Jesus is in heaven interceding for us. See, at first glance, the work that Jesus gives to Mary and to every Christian to make him known in the world just seems too difficult. It seems an impossible task. But in fact, we can fulfill that task today because Jesus has risen and ascended into heaven. It is the fact of his ascension that we can obey his command here. See, Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. We can approach God with confidence because Jesus is there and he wants to give us grace to help us when we need him. See, Jesus has ascended into heaven and he has given us his spirit 
and the Spirit is the power of God at work in the global church of which Malden Road is a part. See, Jesus ascended into heaven to show us that his work of bringing forgiveness and new life is finished. He has done it. It is once for all. And so we do not have to doubt that we are forgiven by God. We don't have to doubt that we have a relationship with him. Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he says, it is finished. I have paid the price. These people belong to me. Above all, because Jesus is ascended into heaven, every Christian here this morning has all the power and authority of heaven on your side. Just think about that. The ascended Jesus uses all his power and authority to help us obey him. Every time we speak of Jesus, we have the power of heaven backing us up. Every time we seek to live a Christ-like life, we have the power of heaven backing us up. Every time we pray in Jesus' name, the power of heaven goes to work to answer those prayers, to change us and to change those around us. See, Jesus ascended to his Father. He tells Mary he's going to do that. And that is the greatest encouragement Mary could hear. Because Jesus ascended, Mary can obey his call to make him known. And because Jesus is ascended, we here today, if we follow him, can obey that call and make Jesus known. So as we finish, what difference does the risen Jesus make to our lives here and now? What Jesus has shown Mary Magdalene here his resurrection proves that he has triumphed over the enemies of sin and death and he has set us free from them as a result. We do not have to fear that Jesus' enemies will win. We do not have to fear that we won't be able to stand for him because Jesus is powerful and he has won the victory already. All he does is invite us to share in that victory. His resurrection proves that he is the risen king in whose hands we can place our whole lives, past, present and future. His resurrection is the message we have for a dying world and to share with one another that Christ is risen, that he is powerful, that we can trust him. And when we share that message, we have his power and authority behind us, enabling us and equipping us from heaven to be the people he has called us to be. See, at the beginning of John 20, Mary was overwhelmed with grief at the death of Jesus. By verse 18, she has been transformed through her meeting with him. And she goes and obeys Jesus' call. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Mary obeyed Jesus because Jesus was risen. Mary obeyed Jesus because he had the power to enable her to obey him. Mary obeyed Jesus because he had opened her eyes to his power. 
Let's pray that he would open our eyes to him, the resurrection and the life, as we seek to serve him.